We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. Dylan Thomas, a Welsh writer, with his poem, Do Not Go Gentle Into the Good Night, up for discussion today. I thought I was Welsh for the longest time. I'm actually Scottish. Did you know that? (laughs) You are handsome no matter what, my friend. Now, while his name is Dylan, some people out there might be like, it's pronounced Dylan in Welsh. Actually, he would correct people that he preferred Dylan pronunciation even in interviews. Is the accent? That's just how they roll. Uh, Roll. I get that. (laughs) (laughs) Dralen. All right. But he is quite famous. Uh author or writers even as famous as bob dylan kind of took his name his his real name was zimmerman and uh, who could forget independence day right that's all i could think about the whole time that i was reading this poem we will not go quietly into the night we will rise up (laughs) i'm not gonna lie i shed a tear during that scene bill pullman was the man oh yeah who didn't man that that's probably one of the most cinematic emotional evoking thing that he's just going to save the world with this one speech so good let's go through this do not go gentle into that good night old age should burn and rave at close of day rage rage against the dying of the light the wise men at their end no dark is right because their words had forked no lightning they Do not go, gentle, into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright, their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight, and learned too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go, gentle, into that good night. Grave men near death who see the blinding sight. Blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. I tried really oh. hard, but I feel I feel like I feel like I would need a second pass. <laughs> I was pretty. I was trying to like keep the iambic the iambic pentameter, but I really screwed that one up. But I tried. I tried. Well, just go to YouTube after you're done watching our video and liking it, and uh, just look up Dylan Thomas doing it, and uh, he'll read it to you. <laughs> he probably did it better. All right. So something worth noting is if you did know Dylan Thomas by the 1940s had just of course survived World War II. And um, we're living in this small little little area, and he held a steady income job of writing and recording a series of broadcasts for the BBC. And he did this for several years, like from 45 to 48, 
and and just made hundreds of broadcasts, right? So lots of writing, lots of orating. He's kind of a genius and developed his ear. But as a result of all this practice, allegedly, you know, that's why he became such a strong poet, because he had an ear and put in the hours to be able to create and, and hear very pleasing sounds and uh, and his ability to construct these lines are, are obviously pretty masterful. Yeah, this is probably one of the best uh, examples of using that rhyming and using that rhythm and using the ability to take words that are so similar and get a message across. It just it, it flows naturally. It feels good and it has a good message and just the the sense of the rage, rage. It, it fills you with emotion on top of all of that. It is a masterpiece. And I remember reading this in high school, and even my wife was like, oh, yeah, I read that poem in, in high school. So it's one of those that's used widely as a, you know, a teachable moment. Yeah, I, I was reading online that someone said that this is read. I don't think there's a way to actually get this statistically. My guess is just, just you know, some number they made up. But they said it's read out of two out of every three funerals. I, again, I don't know if that's actually true. But I, I believe that, you know, this and obviously, you know, couple of the there's there's some well-known ones but uh, let's put it this way there's a certain universality to this poem right agree i don't think i don't think when you read certain things it might have a heavy you know worldview built into it in terms of the afterlife of what you expect uh, in terms of you know i went to my grandma's funeral here recently and she was devoutly catholic you know we're in the church and there's lots of talk about, you know, going into the afterlife, meeting Jesus, reaching heaven, that sort of thing, which, you know, if you're a materialist and you don't believe in those sorts of things, it can be somewhat jarring and you're like, okay, hey, I, you know, this isn't for me, but I understand that's what's her. I hope, you know, if, if it's true, that's what, you know, she achieved. But what, what Dylan Thomas does here, which I think is interesting, is he, he captures that moment right before the precipice of life, whatever happens there, no matter what you believe. He's capturing that moment about how are you going and crossing over, whatever happens after that moment. And I think that's what makes this poem so universal is that we have all been and will be touched by this moment, by ourselves, by others around us at some point in our lives. I think that's a perfect way to say that this is universal. And on top of that, I would add that it's passion, right? We as human beings are passionate creatures. And the way we express our passion is through poetry and art and books and movies and music, etc. And this is taking the universal end-all, be-all, death. We're all going to die one day. I mean, that is a sad part of life, but it gives life meaning, too, that what we have is finite with one another. And he's saying fight for that. You know, don't give that up. If something's important to you, then you should continue wanting it. And I think that's just, like you said, that's something all of us can relate to. And he does it in a way that... It just feels natural. Like you don't have to get into the oh, this is a villainy, and and the rhyming pattern is this, and there's that many lines, and there's these triplets and these quadruplets, and you don't have to go to that level. Like you can just read this poem and react to it. And I think that is the sign for, for me of great art that you don't have to be able to able. Not that it's wrong. But the fact that it touches you first, then you intellectualize it, I think is something special when it comes to finding a piece that you you can put in front of other people and talk about. And it's a little bit romanticized as well, too, the way that it is written and the way that the words, you know, flow together. 
uh, and I'm sure that you'll talk about, uh, you know, how this poem is written so uniquely that it allows people to just flow into it. Even if you're not a big, you know, poetry person like myself, I was able to still get immense amounts of enjoyment out of it and intellectual finds in it also. Yeah. Just to kind of walk through the lines a little bit here, you know, we go through a lot of different type of men, right? It starts out with the old age should burn and rave, right? So already we're at the precipice of death and we're saying fight, kick, push back, you know, grab this moment for whatever that means to you. And everyone's going to face that moment at some point, whether it be through the vicariously through someone you know and love, or whether it be yourself, you're all going to face that that moment where you have to fight back. But then he goes on and explains a couple different types of men, right? Like the wise man, right? They know it's coming and their words might not have changed, AK fork, no lightning. Uh, but do they give up? If, if they didn't cause the change in the world, are they, does that mean your life was meaningless? Yes, it does. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that the the poem uh, presents you with options, right? Your your, your life is forked uh, when you're presented with death. You can give up and succumb to it, or you can fight and move on. And I always think about that of like palm readers, right? They, they read your palm and they see all the forks. And it's like, well, you can make this path here and make this choice and this happens. And I think that's what he's kind of saying here, at least to me, I looked at it as these are the choices that I'm going to have to make in life, and these could be the outcomes depending on the choices that I that I choose. What did you take about the good men? Who are the good men? I thought you were going to ask me about wise men. That was the one I'd kind of prepared for. <laughs> um, the, the, what I mean, I guess you have to define what is a good man. That's very situational. Um, coming off of World War II, time period America, 1950s, probably means something a lot different to Thomas than it does me as, you know, a middle-aged man in 2023. But I guess somebody that's standing up for his own personal virtues, um, somebody that's standing up for what is, quote, right, although that's very subjective. So I, I think this one is going to be what you think a good man is, and it's going to be very different for all of us. Yeah. I wonder when I see like the green waves ending here, and obviously there were some waves in the previous line kind of continuing some of that, that those those visuals, the way they wash over you, pun intended. I wonder if the green can be applied to the good men of the war, right? This was written just post-World War II, right? Those that were fighting for the deeds that they thought were right, this could honor them in certain views of that line. All right, so traditionally America and its allies wore green, all right, uh, wild men trying to live life crazy and exciting, but does it matter? Do you regret or feel emptiness at the end? Now, this is, I think, the the shout out to the young men, wild men, young men. When you're young, you you live a little bit more frivolously, right? Because you think you're invincible. At least I know that I did. And I think that this is when you are into your later years, you might reflect back upon those things and maybe have a little bit of regret of saying, oh, maybe if I'd made different choices, this I could have had a different outcome or maybe I wouldn't be where I am now, uh, you know, if I hadn't drank so much or partied so much or, or do, done things that were a little bit reckless and I had done smarter choices for my, my physical body because for older people, that's probably what's failing them and that's why you could possibly be dying, that if you'd made different choices, maybe that wouldn't have been the outcome. And uh, that's, that's okay. You should accept that. And then grave men. I don't, it's probably not supposed to be funny, but I totally took it as funny. If, if, you, if you read Shakespeare, there's that one guy that 
well, who was it? What play was it where he's like, he was dying and they're like, ask me tomorrow and I'll be a grave man. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is uh, the men that have come and lost before us have taught us lessons. And he's saying, you know, it's going to happen to everybody. Again, just that kind of that finality that this is okay. And you can get to the point of acceptance and that's a good thing. And then last but not least, we address the father up on the height. What did you think about that line? And 180 degrees pivot towards religion. (laughs) The father uh, up on high. Just this, I felt like to me was a reference to God and that probably maybe he thinks uh, my interpretation that when you die, you could possibly be, you know, judged by a higher power. Oh, okay. And be ready Interesting. for that. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. So so if he says to the father, what's the line here? And you, my father, there on the sad height. Why why do you think it would be a sad height in, in that interpretation? I think even okay, going out a little on a limb here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Go and for and it. don't 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 crucify me for this. Ah, <laughs> If I were a God, I'm not going to say maybe the God, if I were a God and it was my responsibility, I'd say I was death. Okay. I was death. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take it back. We'll take it down a notch. <laughs> yeah. Let's take it down a notch. So say I was death, collector of souls. I think after a while, and I think they've estimated there's been what, like 11 or maybe a hundred billion people or something have ever lived in, in human existence that we know in human history, whatever the number is, it, it's it's an astronomical number of people and souls that you would have to reap. I think that that would get depressing after a while, even if it was, you know, your gig. Uh, I think that that would be tough. So if you're death, a god, the god, and you're just like having to churn in all of these souls all the time and bring them into heaven or the afterlife that's got to get daunting after a while, right? I mean, that, that's that got to be tough. Yeah, I mean, if I do anything 100 billion times, I'm probably going to get a little sick of it, is my guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, would, it, would it, how much would your opinion change if, let's do, let's do a perspective shift. So okay. if you knew this fact that for sure Dylan Thomas, like the poet's father, was actually dying when he wrote this. And we read this line, it says, And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. If you reinterpret this in the eyes of him, actually the poet, writing it for his father, how does that change your your perspective of this last paragraph with the don't go gentle into the night, rage against that light? If we take this as a literal interpretation, which we're probably supposed to, is the fact that he doesn't want his father to go. He wants more time with his father. He loves his father or just hasn't had enough quality time with his father. I think that it shows the compassion and the strong, familiar bonds, ties that you know this father and son have. And just one more minute will be, you know— one more than he had. I mean, I've heard people say that so many times of, I would give anything just to have an hour with my wife. I would give anything to have five more minutes with my husband uh, because death is finite, right? It, it It's the end. It's the great equalizer. And I think that he doesn't want to give his father up. And I, I can understand that. Yeah, I can see that for sure. 
Well, let us know what your thoughts and interpretations of this poem are. If you enjoyed this talk and don't know what to add, you know, just leaving an icon such as even maybe a death. Definitely put a death symbol down below. (laughs) All right, guys, we'll leave a playlist down below of other poetry discussions and talks that we've had. What other things would you love to see us cover? Let us know in the comments down below. My name has been Una. Peace. Peace.